Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now joel and bead in 2019 won the trademark for this nickname that also describes the 76ers strategy of improving the team paul what is do a 180 nope margaret or mike what is remember that guy the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks i'm one of your hosts james and i know exactly who can tell trebek what this is well, we can do a 360 and bring the process full circle, but I don't want to belabor that point too much because we do have a very special guest. It is the navicular bone that Joel Embiid broke in his left foot. Please introduce yourself. That's right. It's me, Pablo Torre. You know, I was so into the process that I actually turned myself into a bone for Joel Embiid. Turns out I did then break and cost the Sixers. So, you know, that's my bad. I swear next year, it, 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 it's the Sixers year. Shame on you for your faulty bone physics. And you know what? Shame on Discord for giving me the power of a soundboard that does allow me to do this. Guangdong Dong Tigers. <laughs> Ni hao! Ni hao! <laughs> yeah, I've been having a lot of fun loading this up. Um, but another thing can do, let's talk about what the two of you can do for me, which is tell me what's making memories for you right now. Well, I feel like I'm supplanting Xavier as our obscure soccer correspondent, so I might as well keep it going. Big win for the Annapolis Blues on Father's Day. They now stand atop the Mid-Atlantic Conference by themselves in sole possession with the most points per game because, again, this is a semi-pro league. They don't do the standings based on pure points since games played is going to be pretty hard to make equal amongst all the teams. So it is points per game that is the statistic, but with, I believe, six wins and now just the one draw in their competition. They are standing clear at the top. Another good crowd. They reported it over 7,000. I think that might have been a little generous. Might have been a little generous, but it's still okay. It was still a very nice crowd down in Annapolis. And I believe it was 6-1 they ended up winning. Uh, So a resounding victory. And the look to keep that going and go on a run. Uh, one other soccer team that I wanted to touch on is the Newcastle women's team. If you've listened to the pod loyally, you know that I have been closely following their season. They did win the championship in their league last year, which earned them promotion. And more big news coming out this week. The team was only officially incorporated within Newcastle United's larger structure just this past year. And the new ownership is taking it a step further now. They are now officially a fully professional team. They had already made head coach Becky Langley a full-time staff, but the players themselves still had to take second jobs to be able to support themselves. That is until now. Uh, they're now being paid full wages. They are fully professional athletes. They will be fully taken care of by Newcastle. And we love to see it. We love when athletes get to just focus on athletics. 
and they don't need to go be an accountant or a nurse or some shit to be able to make ends meet. They just get to focus on the sport. I'm thrilled for everybody, Tyne side. Let's make it a double next year. Let's get the men's and the women's both winning their league. Men are going to win the Premier League. I don't know why they wouldn't. It's not like there's a behemoth fucking Godzilla best team ever formed in Manchester. They don't exist. They're not real. And the women are going to win their league too. Highway to lads. Highway to lasses. Highway to blues. Highway the guys. Highway the guys indeed. Speaking of guys, I mean, look, I'm not going to bury the lead. We're all excited about the big news that's been all over ESPN this week. The hoops, they're quaking. And that's because the hoops will be shaken soon. Because the international phenom finally here. That's right, folks. Slam Ball is back. Slam Ball has returned. Slam Ball, the sport that asks, hey, you know that part in between corners where we have the spirit team jump and do dunks from trampolines? What if we just made that the whole thing? Just, I love Slam Ball so much because, like, it's not just the dunks. It's, like, it's also, for those unfamiliar with the rule set, full contact. Mm-hmm. People wear shoulder pads. People get upended. People get hurt. We don't like to see people get hurt, but we do like to see spectacular high-flying action, and it's finally back. It is finally back. It's been described uh, as a cross between, much like you're saying, Diaz, a video game, basketball, and also hockey, both for the contact and the way that people flow in and out. And I, I just want to spend a little more time catching everyone up on Slam Ball and what it is, because it was invented back in 1999 by Mason Gordon. Do you want to guess what Mason Gordon's day job was at that point? Janitor. Trampoline salesman. He was a professional comedy writer for television programs on Nickelodeon like Keenan and Kel and Cousin Skeeter, the one show where that kid's cousin moves in and he's a puppet. Ah. Yeah. And so this guy in his free time was like, hey, you know what? What if I made this incredibly silly form of basketball? And here's what I really love if you go to the Wikipedia page for Slam Ball. It's got inaugural season listed, except Slam Ball has come and gone a couple times. So it actually has five different inaugural seasons. Three of those seasons are also listed as seasons in which the league ceases. So it does not have the best track record up to this point, but it's been broadcast here in the United States. It has been broadcast in Portugal, Spain, Italy, Australia. It has even been played over in China. That's where it's kind of like been kept alive these past couple of years. But Slam Ball is back on ESPN. They have a two year deal for 2023 and 2024 with ESPN now. We are going to be delivered, I love how they put it, more than 30 hours of live slam ball programming across five weekends. This will culminate in mid to late August with the slam ball playoffs and slam ball championship game all happening at Cox Pavilion in Las Vegas. If you could only have one, would you rather have slam ball or basketball? I mean, basketball, slam ball. funny movie. S- slam ball has been proven to be a sport. Basketball can be a sport as well. I'm saying if you could have one as a professional sport, do I basketball, want... I feel like it would be very fun. I mean, here's the thing. Which am I closer to being able to compete in professionally? Basketball. I feel you put me on the free throw line without having to run cardio and I just get to shoot there and talk shit to people. I think I would make it about a 70, 75% clip. I think I could be a passable basketball player. 
If I tried to play slam ball, my knees would simultaneously disintegrate and I would receive no fewer than three concussions in the first five minutes of playing. So to me, the better sport is the one that I am further away from being able to compete in. So I would take slam ball. Well, thankfully, we are much closer to getting to take it in once again. So I just wanted to take a moment for us to all acknowledge slam ball and also the Spurs drafted Victor Wembanyama. Anyway, Xavier, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling good. So update from last week, Diaz's boy BJ Callahan is now a champion, a CONCACAF Nations League champion. You are goddamn right he is, and it is an injustice that with a 100% winning record, he has still not done enough to earn the full-time post. Well, you know what? He has another game tonight against Jamaica in the Gold Cup where uh, he can further show that U.S. soccer was wrong to hire Greg Berhalter back. It should be actually be interesting because just like the last Gold Cup, the USA is sending their B slash C team because their best players need a rest at this point. And Jamaica is actually getting pretty good because they've gotten a bunch of guys from England whose parents came over from Jamaica during the Windrush era and now are all Premier League players but want to play for Jamaica instead because they couldn't play for England. And so Jamaica actually has a chance to be like pretty good. So they might actually be one of the most talented teams at this very watered-down tournament and it, that starts at 9.30 Eastern time today, Saturday the 24th. So we'll see what happens with that. But also speaking of dual nationals, I saw that Paolo Bancaro picked the USA over Italy to compete in the FIBA World Cup, which I didn't know was a choice he had to make. But through that article, I found out that Joel Embiid has never played internationally and is debating playing at the 2024 Olympics. And both... USA and France are trying to get him to commit to play at these Paris 2024 Olympic Games. Is is Cameroon not throwing its hat in the ring? So the I, thing with the thing with Cameroon, I mean, the thing with Cameroon is like Embiid and Siakam have both talking about this. How the sport on a national level in Cameroon has a lot of corruption in its administration. So they don't want to then reward that with their presence on the team. Um, okay. Also, USA and France are both actual contenders to win. And in Cameroon, <laughs> like, I mean, 41-year-old Luka Mbamute would probably still be the third best player if they all got their best guys. So I think that's also part of it. But at least publicly, the, the corruption within the Cameroonian administration is a large reason why they're saying that they don't have interest in playing for them. And for context, for Cameroon at the 2021 AfroBasket tournament, they finished dead last, 16th out of 16th, losing every single game they, they participated in. They finished behind Mali, the Central African Republic, the DR Congo, Kenya, Rwanda, Guinea, South Sudan, Uganda, Angola, Cape Verde, and then the other actual good teams. So... Not to sidetrack this too much, but I, a question has occurred to me because I don't have the option to do this. I'm just a boring, waspy American. The two of you could, in theory, I feel like, try and get to play for Puerto Rico if it was in something that you excelled at. What do the two of you think you could represent Puerto Rico in internationally? I could represent Puerto Rico in, uh, honestly, the NHL tournament, NHL video game. I was top 500. I know you've started skating a little bit, DS. No, no. I, actual hockey, terrible. Video game hockey, 
in high school, at least, you know, when we had nothing else to base our self-worth on than our ranking in online video games, I was top 500 in the world in the NHL. So I, I do believe to this day I would represent La Isla con mucho, mucho orgullo. Xavier, what you got? Model UN. <laughs> are you representing Puerto Rico in the Model UN or are you just doing it for Puerto Rico, but you're stuck with like Kosovo? The, the, the latter. The latter. Okay. I, will, I will show my ability to be a great politician in the Model UN on behalf of Puerto Rico, but representing a country that has nothing to do with Puerto Rico. But I still had a couple other things about some random sports and also just some random leagues that I wanted to talk about real quick. I've been learning a lot more about the Australian Rules Football League recently. Just, it is the just shit. This, just this morning, the Sydney Swans beat the West Coast Eagles 205-34. to 34. They were the first team to score over 200 points since 2011. And this is the worst loss in the Eagles' 37-year history. And a lot of our listeners who have no idea what scores look like in that game probably have no idea, you know, how big is that? How little is that? It's, so It's bad. The at, like the winning team usually is somewhere around like 80 to 110, 120. But like very rarely does anyone like get more than like 120, 130. And they blew that out of the water. The Eagles are just absolutely awful. But the Swans, they were scoring pretty much every second in a game that is not designed for people to score that often. And the last thing I want to talk about was the smallest soccer league in the world, the Isle of Skilly Football League, which consists of just two teams, the Woolpack Wanderers and the Garrison Gunners, who play 9v9 against each other 18 times for the league title, along with a couple other times each for multiple cup competitions. So every week, these nine guys on each team just play against each other, but name it a something else, depending on how they feel for what title they're playing for. Do they do the thing that you have to do eventually in like an online lobby where at least the nine and nine gets swapped a little bit? Or are we just rolling out the same nine motherfuckers against each other every single week? You know what? I was going to say that like I could see it happen, but no, if, if, you're, if you're a wool pack... Or a garrison, wouldn't you want to just be on that team? Well, the thing, so I, I read an article about this, Xavier, and it's the player pool is the same group of guys. But after each season, there's essentially two captains, which then redraft the teams. <laughs> Yo, so, that makes even this funner. so much better. Because now you've got the like psychological element of these 18 guys presumably known each other forever, having to make that kind of a decision every year. Wait, this is great. I, I just see this on CBS Sports Galazzo uh, about a, an interesting moment. One time, a Wolfpack player, a farmer named Chuffer, once left the game at halftime with his side leading 2-0 because he was wrongly informed his cows had escaped. With his team down to 10 men, Garrison came back to win the game 3-2. Beautiful. It's like, um, it's like the, the scene in Breaking Bad where they call Hank to say that his wife's in the hospital but it was really Saul Goodman doing double duty. It is exactly like that. I don't know enough Breaking Bad to verify <laughs> It's that. all right. It's all right. We, we all can't be Diaz. Listen, I have encyclopedic knowledge of like 10 shows and no knowledge of any other show. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of shows, folks, for this week of the show, 
You know, we've done some segments before that have unfortunately pitted us against one another. And, you know, this time we decided in the spirit of Gaidem, when we bring on what we're about to do, we wanted to do it together, but invite some other people to take parts so that we could not have to have this divided house anymore. It's time to unite the house against our listeners to infuriate them and to make them answer some questions about some guys that have been talked about on the show, some other guys that haven't been talked about, but I'm excited for this. I am indeed excited for this installment of Who Wants to Be a Guy Leonardo, the game show about the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. We have with us today three contestants that we are incredibly pleased to welcome. They are not our very special guests, but I will now turn to our very special guest to introduce to you the first of our contestants today. Yes, uh, our first contestant here. I'm not sure if he'll think of this as a compliment or as as a negative, but I think he could be the Richard Francis Burton of Guy Lionaire trivia. I think he's going to win. Please welcome Brooks Rudy. Thank you, Xavier. Delighted to be here with you all. I will take parts of that as a compliment, although I don't think I can speak any language as well as he spoke the seven or eight different ones that he did. So uh, enjoy me with whatever factoids I remember and me talking down condescendingly to everyone to own up to my namesake. <laughs> That's what we brought you on for, baby. And I am pleased to bring about our second contestant returning to the show for his second ever appearance, our super mega guest, Dante Lamadola. Happy to have you back on. Happy to be back. I really hope, you know, I make you proud, James, unlike apparently the rest of the teams you love to support. But let's, uh, let's have some fun. Let's win some points. Let's play some trivia. I promise that if you are several points clear of the people you are playing against, I will not somehow expect that you are going to have a catastrophic failure over the rest of the game. <laughs> I, however, will, though. Well, look, we're, we're, we're thrilled to have Brooks. We're thrilled to have Dante. I'm certainly not rooting on either of your downfalls, but I am rooting for a Mick Fall. He is the pride of Alfred University. He is a longtime listener and now a third-time caller. Kevin McFall, welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for having me back. I kind of want to come full circle. I was on the show about this time last year and give a little update. D'Angelo Williams did get in the College Football Hall of Fame. So round of applause for D'Angelo. We are thrilled for our favorite man with pink dreads. I'm here to play and ready to have fun. We are here to have fun with the three of you. And the first category that we are going to do that with today is going to be run by me. This is going to be an either or for all of you. You know, when we talk about guys, there is very often a lot of coming up short. But something that I don't want us to lose sight of with guys is they do win sometimes. And that's going to be what we want to kind of determine here with our first category today, head-to-head -to -head hardware. Here's how this one's going to work. You're each going to get two questions, then there'll be a bonus at the end. You're going to be presented with two guys that we have discussed on this show, and we want to know which one of them has won more hardware. In this case, what we are defining hardware is we're not looking for individual awards because, frankly, we wouldn't find a whole lot of them. What we're looking for are NCAA championships, a championship from any professional league in any country. As long as it is considered a pro league, it counts. And then any international competition that is not a juniors competition. That is the total sum of the hardware for each of these that we're looking for. One other thing I want to make clear, while I might to do some banter, introduce 
people by a certain sobriquet, for instance, I might say, between Spurs legend Bruce Bowen and Spurs legend Robert Ori, who wins head-to-head hardware. Something I want to clarify is that while Bruce Bowen does have three titles with the Spurs to Robert Ori's two, Robert Ori has seven total. We are looking for the career total, regardless of the bit that we are saying them. Do we have any questions before we start? One. Nope. Do political election results count as hardware? (laughs) If that comes up, absolutely. All right. Thank you. No, I thank you, bros, because actually I'd like to start with you as contestant number one. Your first question today, you know, we all know about the Olympians that we love bringing up here. So I want to ask you between the ice dancer, Maya Yusova, she of many partners, professional and romantic, versus Mary Whipple, the coxswain of U.S. rowing, who wins head-to-head hardware? I think it's Whipple. Is that what you're sticking with? For uh, total hardware? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. You are absolutely correct. It is indeed Mary Whipple. Now, Maya Yusova does have two gold medals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the same number of gold Olympic medals that Mary Whipple has to go with several other world championships for seven total. Mary Whipple, the mm-hmm. heart and soul of U.S. rowing. So that is one point for you, Brooks, as we turn to contestant number two, Dante. Dante, for let's you, go. we've got two athletes who both had to travel to Canada in order to do their winning. Well, we want to know who did more between Jamaican Canadian sprinter Donovan Bailey and CFL and Temple University legend Henry Burris, who wins head to head hardware. I'd feel upset if he didn't get my vote. Got to go with the pride of the Terry and the white Burris. Unfortunately, you have gone with the incorrect response. Henry Burris does have his three Grey Cups. Donovan Bailey has seven international gold medals. So Donovan Bailey does take that one. No point for you on this. Well, we'll come back around to you. Come back around. Let's turn, though, for a moment to you, Kevin. Contestant number three. Between Australian icons, the longtime hooper Tully Bevilacqua and the face of Australian baseball, Dave Nilsson, which of those two wins head-to-head hardware? I know Tully was a stud with native Australian championships, and she played in some international competitions, so I'm going to go with... Tully Bevilacqua. Go with Tully Bevilacqua. Yeah. So, Dave Nilsson, no slouch. Dave Nilsson, five total. That is a little bit more than Tully Bevilacqua's professionals, but with her international, she does have a total of seven altogether. Tully Bevilacqua does get that for you. You do have the points on that. Congratulations, Kevin. It is one Brooks, one Kevin, zero Dante as we come back around to you, Brooks. Contestant number one. Here is the question for you. They're both known for their labor rights. But neither of them finished their career empty-handed in terms of titles. So I want to know, between former NBA player Ed O'Bannon and MLB great should be in the Hall of Fame but is in the Hall of Guy, Kurt Flood, who wins head-to-head hardware? Ooh, that's an excellent question. I think it's Flood for the amount of gold gloves he had. So Kurt Flood has more gold gloves than he has titles. He's only got the two Mm -hmm. titles with the St. Louis Cardinals. Ed O'Bannon did win a title in UCLA. He got a head start. He got that NCAA championship one. And then he never won another title in his career. So Kurt Flood with two to Ed O'Bannon's one does get you a second point here, Brooks, in the category head-to-head hardware. Gives you, Dante, now a second chance to get on the board. Your question, Merlene Adi, she's famously the queen of Braun. But even with that nickname, did she manage 
to win head-to-head hardware against NBA and CBA, it's Chinese Basketball Association veteran, Carlos Boozer. Ooh, I definitely did not follow Boozer after he left, but uh, I'm going Carlos Boozer. Going Carlos Boozer. Carlos Boozer is your final answer. Boozer won an NCAA championship, much like Ed O'Bannon with Louisville. Mm -hmm. In the 2016-2017 CBA season, he did manage to make it to the finals. He did unfortunately lose, but I do just want to take a moment to share. Do you know what team he played for in the CBA? Guangdong Tigers. (laughs) Ni hao! Ni hao! Uh, that is compared to Merlene Adi, who, despite her name, the Queen of Bronze, despite never winning an Olympic gold medal, did in her career win six different international gold medals. You are unfortunately going to once again strike out here, Dante. I am sorry. It's Merlene Adi. I'm going to be hearing this a lot tonight. <laughs> it's only 0-2. You still got, still got a third strike coming back around, bud. And here we come to Kevin. Your final question here before we get to the bonus in head-to-head hardware. Volleyball legends. We've got one of the mothers of USA Volleyball, Flo Hyman, versus maybe the third best player ever, who unfortunately played in the shadow of the best two, Holly McPeak. Between the two of them, who wins head-to-head hardware? I mean, Flo was like ahead of her time for college volleyball, so something tells me she won some college ones. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with Flo Hyman. Flo Hyman and the University of Houston Cougars did finish in the top five all three of her seasons there, but they never won a title. And in fact, the silver that she got with the U.S. team was the highest she ever got. Flo Hyman ends with no hardware by the definitions of this category. That was compared to Holly McPeak, who much like Ed O'Bannon at UCLA, got an NCAA championship. Her only one, but one is enough to beat Flo Hyman. I am sorry. No point for you there, Kev. However, there's still another chance for all three of you here as we get to our bonus question for head-to-head hardware. The way this is going to work, it is a number answer. It's a number that I don't think any of you are going to get particularly correct. But whoever gets closest, going to get two points. Whoever gets next closest, one point. Furthest, zero points. This is the question for you. When we're talking hardware, it's impossible to not talk about Gaius Apuleius Diocles, who is the winningest athlete of all time in terms of career monetary winnings. In modern-day U.S. dollars, how much money did Guy's Apuleius Diocles win? I'm going to start with you, Brooks, as contestant number one. Let me ask a clarifying question. Sure. We're guessing our understanding of the winnings of this individual, who I think lived like 2,000 years ago, yes. is, is like converted to our understanding of money now. Yes, this is us converting sesterces into dollars. Okay. Is this Price is Right rules? Not Price is Right, just got to be closest. Okay. Uh, 1.1 billion. 1.1 billion. Dante, your guess? 850 million. And Kevin, your guess? I'll say 500 million. 500 million. Well, this one's going to go to Brooks because 1 point whatever billion is closest to 15 billion, which is the answer that we were looking for. So that's two points to Brooks, one to Dante, Kevin, meaning that after... Our first round, the scores are Brooks four. I'm on the board. Dante and Kevin tied at one. How does someone win $15 billion riding a chariot around? He did it 1,400 times. Oh, okay. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) He he rode that chariot a lot and managed to stay alive. Speaking of staying alive, we're going to keep this thing 
Yeah, I don't have a good throw about that. But we've got our next category. So I'm glad that I'm going next because it actually kind of plays off of James's first category. Because my category is college championships. And I had some fun with this category. And I hope that you all have some fun with it too. The first question is going to go to Brooks. This is a Jeopardy style question. So I kind of give like the answer, then you just say, what is blank? So this first question, Brooks, this school consumed more jello shots during the 2023 College World Series than every other participant combined. What is LSU? That is correct. Very they, on brand. They had yep. 37,000 jello shots, which actually caused Rocco's Pizza to run out of jello shots after challenging the LSU fans to do that to them. They said it couldn't be done, but you know what they did? It. They doubled Ole Miss's previous record of Jell-O shots. 37,000 Jell-O shots at one establishment during the course of the College World Series. Insane. What a brilliant ploy by the owner of that place. He's like, you won't so buy all my money. stock. You won't, you won't make me sell out for the day. <laughs> you can't do it. Xavier, can I ask a question? Were these all purple and gold? Like, is there a purple jello shortage in Omaha, Nebraska? <laughs> I don't well, think they, that I... They I got to cater to all the teams way. there. I'll have to go to Rocco's Pizza and ask them after you know things die down and they'll actually listen, check their DMs. But I don't I, believe they were colored in any different way. I think they just they just had... A lot of jello shots and especially when you get to the thirty-seven thousand, you're probably just like just getting them out of the door. No one's gonna look. They just fucking throw them down. Give them the blue I one like Earl Roberts. Yeah, no, I like I like to imagine it as like a there will be blood, there will be jello shots. Like LSU fans just walk up to Oral Roberts. I drink your jello shots. <laughs> I drink it up. <laughs> All right. My next question for Dante. This Midwestern school is more known for its successful football program and hatred of all things blue. But this year, its football team was overshadowed by the national title-winning Bollywood Fusion Dance Team. Oh, hatred of all things blue. Hmm. What is... Oh, Wisconsin. Ah, you were close. You were close. But unfortunately, it was Ohio State. The Ohio State. The was, Ohio State I, University. <laughs> I was trying to hum that fight song for you to help you out, Dante. I don't even know if you recognize it, but you are musically inclined. I thought you might. I, anything marching band related would have been an unfair advantage for me. <laughs> totally fair. Didn't you have a family member go to the Ohio State? Yeah, a family member who didn't go to a single Ohio State game while he was there. <laughs> Oof. All right, Kevin, this one's for you. Texas A&M won the National Meat Judging Championship this year. However, when I think of meat judging, I always think of this Mike Judge television character. Um, Bob's Burgers? So I'm sorry, we're looking for Bobby Hill. Bobby Hill from King of the Hill. Oh, that's close. Dang it, Bobby. Where's that on the soundboard? Dang it, Bobby. I'll get that one on for next week. I promise. Thank you. All right, back to Brooks. This school is all about doing things in the sky, so I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that they also won the National Skydiving Championship this year. What is Air Force? 
That is correct. All right, Dante, it's back to you. Let's go. This school fought their way to the 2023 D1 wrestling title. This means that they have won the title every year, except for all of the years that they didn't. <laughs> I, love I know that Diaz phrasing. knows it. I know Diaz I, knows it. Well, I knew it already, and the phrasing like is just a better giveaway. I have no idea. I'm just going to throw a wild guess out there. Duke. Sorry, that's Duke's incorrect. like nothing in wrestling. <laughs> I t- all the years they didn't. The, the, the correct answer is Penn State. The hint was they previously put up a graphic saying that a Penn State alumni has featured in every Super Bowl. And then at the bottom, in smaller print, except for every year they didn't, listing off multiple years. The fact that Diaz got it meant that at least someone understood my phrasing. So, you know what? I feel bad, but not that bad. It's okay. I, I, I feel worse. I mean, I feel worse, Dante, because I'm just terminally online. That's the only reason I got that. All right. Next one. This Western school is well known for winning 25 Director's Cups in a row, mostly due to being able to sponsor more sports than anyone else and actually funding women's sports. Shout out Water Polo Dynasties. Um, I was going to say, I feel like Army had a dynasty in something. Western think... school. Western school. Yeah, oh, not West Point, Western. Oh, um, Western school, water polo. Just going to throw it out there and say UCLA. You're in the correct state. Unfortunately, we were looking for Stanford, the school that sponsors more sports than anyone else. So they get a ton of titles in all of the sports that no one else sponsors. Well, just real, the, the West Point you were thinking of, you were thinking of the Army handball dynasty in both the men's and women's divisions, Kev. That's what I was thinking of. You were certainly not crazy there. No, I heard dynasty, and I think I heard West, and I was like, they definitely, they had some kind of like Army dynasty on their show. I just didn't know what sport. Yeah, it's the, the men's and women's teams have won like every national championship except for like five since the turn of the millennium. Like, it's, it's absurd. And they have their their like JV team won national titles too when they beat the varsity team. No, the, the, so that's that's the thing. The JV has been the runner up like seven times, but they've never beaten varsity. They went to overtime one year, but they've never beaten varsity for the championship yet. Yet, yet, yet. 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 Mighty three coming in. <laughs> All right, this question is for Brooks. This school, despite being only a couple of miles north of the Mason-Dixon line and a couple of miles from the beach, and also sporting an avian mascot that would not seem comfortable on the ice, is a powerhouse in figure skating, never finishing lower than third in the team's national championship. Maybe there's a reason that their neighboring state is trying to claim their achievements. What is Delaware? That is correct. Blue hands. Frankly, I, I, I didn't know UD was north of the Mason-Dixon. It is north of Mason-Dixon by literally like two miles. Yeah, I think Newark is like right up north of it. Well, I was just there recently. I would have sure. crossed the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> yeah, you, you did. Yeah. Just super vaguely related. There's a lot of great fake names in the Rocky franchise. Mason the Line Dixon is probably it's the incredible. Best. It's absolutely incredible. It's th- like the best writing that Sylvester Stallone has done since the first Rocky. All right, Dante, let's see if someone other than Brooks can get any of my questions, because now I feel bad. 
There are five D1 schools in the University of Maryland system. Only one has won three NCAA bowling titles. Coincidentally, this school is also the only one that does not have the color yellow in their logo. Oh, God. James, I've spammed our chat about this. You definitely know. I I work with this school. This school shares a building (laughs) with my job. I don't know. Hopkins? It's not the University of Maryland system, Dante. Killing me. Killing me. James, do you want to say what it is then? UMES, baby. It is University of Maryland Eastern Shore. (laughs) The only D1 University of Maryland team that does not have the color yellow in their logo. All the other ones, Towson, UMBC, University of Maryland, Coppin State, all prominently display yellow in their logo. UMES, just red and black. So, Kevin, this school of lumberjacks is unfortunately in the news for drama around a sport where split has a much different connotation. Oh. This is Stephen F. Austin. It is Stephen F. Austin. Stone cold Stephen F. Austin. Love a good bowling scandal. We haven't had one since Pete Weber. Like the the bowling scandal world has been quiet for a long time since he dropped out of the pro league. So I'm glad that the Stephen F. Austin coach is bringing it. Dante, because you didn't get any of mine, I have a harder question that I would give you two points. Oh, I that's what I need a harder question. Thank you. You'll get two (laughs) points if you get this because I don't have a bonus question. So this one's just for you. This Western State School that tries its hardest not to be considered a state school won its second consecutive swimming and diving championship under alliterative coach Dave Durden, beating Arizona State and their alliterative coach, Bob Bowman. This championship was also hosted in alliterative Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm, trying hard not to be a state school. Uh, Oregon. The answer we were looking for was Cal. Mm. I'm sorry, Dante. I hope that you have I didn't didn't have high hopes to begin with. Sorry, you you were very benevolent to him, but that does leave our scores here as we exit round two with Dante behind. Still just the one. Kevin now up into sole position of second with two points. Brooks did do quite well on that last one. He now leads with seven as we head into our next category. This category is going to be called Take a Charge. Now, this is going to really celebrate two things that have come up time and time again when we talk about guys first off just the nature of someone that you know is ready to take a charge for a team to do that dirty nose to the grindstone work that helps elevate others Uh, and then the other thing we've talked about a lot is criminal charges so what you'll be asked in take a charge is you will be presented with the guy we've discussed and you will quite simply tell me whether or not they have ever had criminal charges against them any questions before we start Just charges, not convictions. That was my Uh, question. I mean, some people may be convicted, some may not. I'm going to start this time with contestant two. I'm going to shake things up a little bit. Dante, I want to ask you about Filipino rugby legend, Lito Ramirez, also known as a rugby boy. Did Lito Ramirez ever take a charge? Uh, Not that I know of, no. Lito Ramirez is a self-admitted recovering drug addict, uh, having sniffed glue. But if he was in the Philippines and got a drug charge, he probably would be dead. So from that, you can surmise (laughs) Lito Ramirez has not yet taken a drug. That is a point for you. We turn to contestant number three. Kevin, your question. I want to ask about Flyers legend Pele Lindbergh. 
Oh man, can you get charged if you didn't make it? Um, <laughs> famously involved in a drunk driving accident, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I feel like he probably never got caught until, unfortunately, it was too late. So I'm going to say no, he didn't take a charge. Pele Lindbergh did test as having a 0.1 blood alcohol level at the time of the arrival on the scene. As you've intimated, he did not survive. And for that reason, he did not get charged with a DUI. So you are correct, Kevin. That is a point to you. Pele Lindbergh never charged, though very clearly involved in a drunk driving incident. Yeah. Don't worry, we'll get a little bit less morbid here as we turn to you, Brooks. Or are we less morbid? That's really the question. As I ask you about the king of darts, Phil Taylor. Did Phil Taylor ever take a charge? I do not know, so I am going to make the assumption that he must have. (laughs) I will say yes. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing, Phil Taylor. Famously good at a sport where if you hang out at a bar long enough, you will probably play it. As you folks have kind of correctly guessed with that one, a guy that hangs around a bar all the time, probably going to get some charges down the line. In fact, he did get two indecent assaults in 2001. Phil Taylor Mm -hmm. has indeed taken a charge. Let's point to you as well as Brooks. That was very much the assumption. Like, if you spend enough time in a bar, you will commit some kind of crime. It seems inevitable. (laughs) Excellent deduction. An excellent deduction. Let's see if we can put the deductive powers, Dante, to the test Mm -hmm. once again. Dante, your question is the namesake for one of the most important football moves, the center of many different legal battles and and lawsuits, Jean-Marc Bosman. Definitely been in the court system, but has he taken a charge? I'm going to say no. Jean-Marc Bosman, of course, he was in those courts primarily because Mm -hmm. he was fighting for his labor rights. That being said, he did find himself in April of 2013 during one of the more unfortunate throws of his alcoholism and depression for assault of a girlfriend and her daughter during oh, that time. God. And so John Mark Bosman did take a charge. I'm sorry, Dante. You don't get a point on that one. That's okay. Still a chance for you. Right now, though, we do want to focus on Kevin's chance. Kevin, here's your question. The architect, one of the greatest football cheating scandals of all times, Greg Williams, did he take a charge? From what I know, Greg Williams is just not an all-around great guy. I'm just basing this off of vibes, and I'm going to say, yeah, he did take a charge. He gives me bad vibes. Well, unfortunately, that answer gives me bad vibes, because while Greg Williams was heavily fined and punished by the NFL for his role in Bounty Gate, he never received any criminal charges for that and has not received criminal charges for any other actions at this time. So Greg Williams has not yet taken a charge. I'm sorry, Kev, no point there. Hold on, though. We got our bonus coming up. However, first, I do have to turn to you, Brooks. Your second question here in Taking Charges. Vanderlei Silva, UFC fighter nicknamed the Axe Murderer. Did he ever take a charge? I will make another assumption and also say (laughs) yes. This time, Brooks, unfortunately, your assumption is incorrect because though he is nicknamed the Axe Murderer and was paid a lot of money to injure a lot of people very violently, he kept it all inside the ring. What can I say? One really someone okay. never caught a charge. So each of you got one right there. Your bonus question for this one. Jack Molinas has been described as the Mephistopheles of college sports, architect of one of the biggest betting scandals in all of the history of college sports. We know that he took some charge. The question is, how many years did Jack Molinas spend in jail? And Dante, this time, we will start with you for the response. 
I'm trying to think if he spent time in jail for later. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say eight years. We've got eight years from Dante. Kevin, how many years do you think? I'm going to say, if I remember correctly, pretty sure he died before he ever served any time. So I'm actually going to say zero. That's zero from Kevin. And Brooks, how many years do you think Jack Molina spent in jail? Three. Jack Molinas was shot and killed. However, he had already served five years at that point for his role in the scandal. Meaning Brooks with three is the closest. He'll again take two from the bonus. Dante, you again get one. Kev, none for this time. I am sorry. That does mean that you and Dante are once again tied at three. And you are all the way awesome. behind Brooks with ten in first place. He served five Molinas. years for a betting scandal. Then he that seems moved extreme. To, moved to, well, he was he he was the ringleader. What of was this. it? Where did he like, move to? He got in like a porn scandal as well. L.A. He moved to L.A. and started producing porn, and he allegedly had legal. long ties to the mafia, and eventually did get shot in the head, like well, allegedly by the mafia. In his home, allegedly. We do use something. the word allegedly. Yeah, we use the word allegedly. We're not sure about those things. I'm sure about something, though. And that's that Diaz has got a category for us now. Yep. Yeah, so it's uh, it's my t- turn to go with my category. And something we talked about this season was streaks. Uh, we were talking about bad streaks, bad records. This is just about streaks and records generally. Some of it we'll touch on themes from previous episodes. Some of it will not. And we're going to start yeah. first in the world of darts. All of these will be multiple choice. I'll start first with you, Kev, because you're right next to me on my screen. Who owns the longest unbeaten streak in darts history at 60 games? Is it A, Michael Van Gerwen, B, Phil Taylor, C, James Wade, or D, LeBron Dwayne? (laughs) Oh, it would be. B, Phil Taylor. So we did talk at length about Phil Taylor. We talked about his rival, Michael Van Gerwen. It is Michael Van Gerwen who has the longest unbeaten streak in darts history. He won 60 consecutive games. uh, So unfortunately, incorrect for you. That was the only name I was sure that was a darts player. And I didn't know how much of a curveball he was throwing at me. Right. James Wade is a very accomplished darts player. LeBron Dwayne is just a fun little joke that I chose to make with the fourth choice. Did you spell it like Dwayne Wade? Yes, I don't know if you can see it, but yeah, right, <laughs> right at the top, Dwayne. Yep. <laughs> My second question, I'll go to Dante. Uh, we're going to talk about a sport you know a ton about, baseball. We're looking for the team that has the record for the most losses in a Major League Baseball season with 134. Is it A, the Providence Grays, B, the Philadelphia Phillies, C, the Cleveland Spiders, or D, the Worcester Worcesters? I believe the owner of the Spiders also was the owner of another team. Basically sold off all the players. One starting pitcher on that team had like half of the team's wins on the years. Let's go Spiders. It is the Cleveland Spiders who did lose 134 games. Pretty bad. Pretty, yeah. pretty bad. Good for you. Thanks uh, for you the get... baseball question. Brooks, next question goes to you. Who holds the record for the most consecutive missed shots in NBA history with 35? Is it A, Kevin Burleson, B, J.R. Smith, C, Gadget Jones, 
or D, George Mikan? I want to say J.R. Smith, but that might just be from like memories of occasional ones. So I'll go with Gadget Jones. So we did talk at length in a previous episode about Gadget Jones' lack of prolificness with his scoring. However, he was a 48% shooter from the field for his career. Uh, Kevin Burleson, playing for the 05-06 expansion Bobcats, missed 35 consecutive shots. He took 88 that season. He managed to miss 35 in a row at one point. And that is the record for most consecutive missed field goal attempts. Who's next closest? Because that sounds impressive to do. My research did not reveal who had the second most. (laughs) They are probably very happy they're not most anymore. (laughs) Well, I mean, the fact that he took 88 total shots in this season and still managed a streak of 35 in there is just incredible. Truly. Um, But this is kind of what we expect from the expansion Bobcats. Mm -hmm. We'll, uh, We'll go back to Kevin for our next question. We're looking for the most consecutive NHL games with an assist by a person not named Wayne Gretzky. Is it A, Brian Leach, B, Mario Lemieux, C, Yarmir Yager, or D, Adam Oates? Oh, man, I know, I know Yager's up there, and I know Lemieux in points. I think both of those might be, like, top five all-time in points. So I'm going to go with Yarmir Yager. Yager, Lemieux, and Leach are all owners of top 10 streaks in NHL history for assists. However, it's Adam Oates with his 18 consecutive games that is the second longest streak in NHL history. That's a lot of wild oats sown. <laughs> I'm glad you added Perfectly the win shot to the, to the soundboard. I, I'm really glad you put that on there. Oh, that one uh, comes standard. They know what we're yeah. about. That was fantastic. Uh, okay, so now I go back to Dante for my next Ooh. question. We talked this season about Peter Buckley, the man with the most consecutive fights without a win in boxing history. But I'm looking for the boxer with the most consecutive losses by knockout in boxing history. Is it A, Reggie Falter, B, Logan Demise, C, Tommy Topple, or D, Eric Crumble? Only because the name sounds on point. I'm going with Logan Demise. So the first three are all fake names, Dante. Those don't exist. However, <laughs> Eric, Eric Crumble on, does that's, exist. That's James, I, think. <laughs> I love that that's the real one. <laughs> I, was that, that, all Logan. I have to admit, I did also think it was Logan Demise. I, I had just finished playing Zelda uh, when, <laughs> when we did these, if you couldn't tell. But no, yeah, I was tickled by the perfect name to be named Crumble and to lose 31 consecutive fights by knockout. Eric Crumble did fight 32 fights professionally in his career. One of them was a no contest, so it didn't count towards his record. And his other 31 fights, he lost each and every one of them by knockout. One of them was to Angel Manfredi, who went on to be a world champion. So at least one of those was to a fighter of some reputation. But Eric Crumble, 0-31, 31 times knocked out holds the record for most consecutive times knocked out in boxing history. I feel like when you get to five or six in a row, you just have to reevaluate your life and think maybe it's time for a new career. You would think they would stop him. And he was also a lightweight. So it's not like he was fighting guys with unstoppable power. I think for our second Rocky reference tonight, that would be a word that like spider Rico wins. 
Oh, that's definitely right up Spider Rico's alley. I don't think Eric Crumble ever threw a headbutt, though. So hopefully he was at least clean in his losses. We'll continue along uh, to some quarterbacks who did not play very clean. Brooks, I'm looking for the person with the lowest quarterback rating among those to attempt at least 50 passes in NFL history. Is it A, Randy Hedberg, B, Billy Jefferson, C, Sweet Hansen, or D, Shipwreck Kelly? I want to pick the ones that I think are fake. Like, I very badly want to pick Shipwreck Kelly because it sounds like a QB from the 40s that probably played horribly. I think you um, have enough room to spare here, Brooks. So Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Randy Hedberg. Well, if you picked any of the first three guys, Brooks, you would have had the right answer. Randy Hedberg, Billy Jefferson, and Sweet Hansen are all tied with a 0.0 quarterback rating. Shipwreck Kelly is a real name. He has the fourth lowest quarterback rating with a uh, 1.2. All right, good work there, Shipwreck. Are they so, all like real old school quarterbacks or are they more modern? I think Hedberg might have been in the 60s, but Jefferson and okay. Sweet Hansen are definitely 40s guys. Okay. We've gone through two rounds. I believe that brings me back to Kev. Who has the most consecutive games in MLB history with a home run? Is it A, Don Mattingly, B, Dale Long, C, Ken Griffey Jr., or D, Ken Griffey Sr.? Most consecutive games with a home run. You said Don Mattingly? Don Mattingly is one of the choices. I'll take Don Mattingly. Well, Kev, much like the last question, if you answered any of the first three choices, you would have been right. Don Mattingly, Dale Long, and Ken Griffey Jr. are all tied with eight consecutive games with home runs. Yes, Dale Long, I never heard of him before. I researched this, but he does have eight consecutive games with a home run. When did Mattingly get eight home runs in a row? Presumably in the 70s. I mean, Mattingly was yeah. an incredible hitter. So the only reason my, Mattingly's not in the Hall of Fame is because his back acted up and he had to retire early. But. And because he wouldn't trim his sideburns. All right, Mr. Burns. Also that. Yeah, Griffey Sr. was uh, the only one of those to not share the record. So point for Kevin. All right, we'll go to Dante now. Who has the most sacrifice flies in MLB history? Is it A, Cal Ripken? B, Eddie Murray? C, Joe Morgan, or D, Hank Aaron? That sounds like something Hammer and Hank would have a hold on for the rest. Yeah, Hank Aaron. So it is not Hank Aaron. It is Orioles legend, but not the guy that played all those games. It's Eddie Murray with 128 sacrifice flies. Hot take. Eddie Murray was a better player than Cal Ripken, but Cal Ripken played enough games for him to supersede him. Sorry. That... That is a Baltimore hot take. I think the math backs that up. I'll do that with you later, James. Well, Brooks, I got another question for you. Who holds the record for most consecutive free throws made in pro basketball history? Is it A, Phil Jackson, B, Lenny Wilkins, C, John Wooden, or D, Steve Kerr? I am not sure. Is it Wilkins? Mm. So Wilkins is a good guess. Uh, it is actually the godfather of UCLA basketball himself. John Wooden uh, made 138 consecutive free throws while playing for the Indianapolis Kotskis. It was not the NBA, but 
but it was professional league. And John Wooden made 138 consecutive free throws. Now, if anybody else held that record for this random league that was professional but not the NBA, I would not have included this question. But because it's John Wooden, I think we got to pay our due respect uh, and we got to we got to recognize the greatest coach in American sports history. Mm-hmm. So John Wooden is that question. We have three more, though, to round us out. First to Kev, which franchise has the most playoff losses in NFL history? Is it A, the Pittsburgh Steelers, B, the Chicago Bears, C, the Minnesota Vikings, or D, the Cleveland Browns? You got to think about a team that goes a lot. You know, think about the Vikings and the Browns. I feel like they don't go that often. And the Steelers under those three coaches, I feel like made it for like 150 years in a row. So I'm going to say the Steelers. The Steelers is a good guess. Unfortunately, they've had too much success when they've made it there. It is the Minnesota Vikings with their 31 playoff losses, which hold the record for most losses in in playoff NFL history. They have lost at least one game every single time they made it to the playoffs. No, very true. Uh, I mean, you have the the Purple People Eaters era. You have the Fran Tarkenton era where they were very good and just not good enough. But yeah, 31 playoff losses. Uh, and I think I know what at least three people on this podcast favorite of those was. 38 to 7. Never forget. Go uh, Birds! Go Birds! Go Birds! And with that, Dante, I'm going to go to you. And I'm going to ask, who holds the record for most consecutive team. Again, this is not just the individual making an appearance, the most consecutive games played by their team, which this individual saved. Is it A, Eric Gagne, B, Rod Beck, C, Mariano Rivera, or D, Addison Reed? I mean, I'm hoping three out of four of these options will be the right answer. Uh, Mariano Rivera. Dante, you picked the only one that does not share the record. (laughs) 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 Yes, that. That's insane. What is the record? uh, It's it's only six. Six consecutive team games saved. Uh, But yeah, it was Eric Gagne, Rod Beck, and Addison Reed, which all share that record. This is why I don't gamble. Well, this isn't even gambling. This is just research. But I have one more question, and then I did think of a bonus question that I'll ask as well, and I'll pose it to the group. Brooks, your final question. We've talked about WWE on this show, so I do feel it is fair within the universe to ask, who holds the record for the longest title reign, single title reign, in WWE history? Is it A, Hulk Hogan, B, John Cena, C, Bruno Santorino or D, Ric Flair? I know only enough about wrestling to know those names like buzzwords. So, Ric Flair? It is not Ric Flair. Kev, I know you know the answer. Would you like to, to fill it in? Yeah, it is Bruno San Martino. San Martino, exactly. So I even pronounced it wrong. So I'm an asshole too. You hold it uh, for like. You know what? With with the correction, I'm giving him a steal for that one. Yeah, that seems fair. I agree. He right, held so it for like 13 years and then lost it for like 
two months and then won it back for like another eight years. It was 2,803 consecutive days as champion. He lost it for the two months that you mentioned and then held it for another 1,237 days. So a combined title reigns of over 4,000 days with only two months separating the two of them. So Bruno Sammartino, incredible. What else is incredible is the bonus question. And this is just going to be open-ended. If any of you get it, you're going to get the full two points. No points to anybody who gets it wrong. No penalty for getting it wrong. Which player slash coach holds these two records? The most wins in FCS college football history and also the most consecutive plays with an interception as a defensive player. I'm sorry, did you say FBS or FCS? FCS. So yeah, yeah the step below the, the bowl subdivision. We're not talking about the Alabamas. We're talking about the North Dakota States. The uh, University of Delaware's. And it's a coach? He's currently a coach. He did play in the 70s. He also played at an FCS institution. I feel like you guys talked about like that John Carroll coach. That, I that, I'll save you there. That's D3. Oh, okay. Yeah, I truly have no idea. Are there any guesses? Brooks, any guess? No, I'm not sure. Well, the only reason I would bring this up is because it is a Delaware man. Casey Keeler playing linebacker for the Hens back in the 70s intercepted a pass on three consecutive plays. They intercepted it. They scored. They tried to throw. He intercepted it. They scored. They got the ball again. They tried to throw again. Casey Keeler intercepted it again. And between his tenures at both Delaware and now currently Sam Houston State, Casey Keeler is the winningest coach in FCS football history. Hmm. Why Delaware ever fired him is far beyond my understanding. If they hadn't done it, there's a very real Mm -hmm. chance I wouldn't know any of you. I might have gone to Delaware if they didn't fire Casey Keeler. Mm -hmm. That was the final straw for me to finally get me to go to Temple. Um, Now we get to see Casey Keeler in uh, the FBS with Sam Houston now in Conference USA. Ooh. And I have, I have no doubt that they are going to win eight to ten games every year, and he's going to continue to be an amazing coach. He was very good to me when I was a super fan, child of the program. Always let me into the locker room to hang out with the players after the games. There was one time even he let me just follow him around all day because for my class we were supposed to shadow a person whose job we wanted to have one day. I just followed him around Delaware's campus. I went to the weight room, love Casey Keeler. Needed to get a Casey Keeler reference on this pod at some point. And I'm sad that none of you knew who he was, but I am glad I got to bring him up. I tried to give the hint. No, you really did. University of Delaware, Blue Hens. It's all good. Um, We've still got a chance for everyone to pad the scores a little bit. We've got one more category, but real quick, let's check in with those scores. Dante is now in last with four. Kev, with that steal, it brings you up to five, which means you have closed the gap slightly between you and Brooks, who is still in the lead at 11. We've got one more category, uh, a favorite amongst our group. We are bringing back the one, the only, 69 or 420. Woo! Mm -hmm. Now, for anyone that is unfamiliar with 69 or 420, quite simply, you will be presented a question that has a numerical answer. However, I'm not interested in the answer itself. I am simply interested in knowing whether that answer is closer to 69 or 420. So, this time... We're going to start with contestant number three. We're going to go to you, Kevin. 69-420, I want to know the winningest driver in LeMan history is Tom Christensen. The number of laps that he drove in his first ever win at LeMan, 69-420. 
420. With 361 laps, he is indeed closer to 420, so that is a point for you here on this first go-round, Kev. Turn next to Dante. It's a good one for you. I want to know, legendary pinch hitter for the Philadelphia Eagles, A.J. Feely. For him, how many total pass attempts did he have in his time with the Eagles? 69 or 420? Now, important clarifying question that I will ask. Are we counting the second stint as well? Oh, yes, yeah, we are. I, we are counting all of that. We are not counting. I don't believe he has any postseason snaps, but this is exclusively regular season. He didn't play much in his seconds. Uh, 69. In his non-consecutive stays with the Eagles, A.J. Feely had 309 total pass attempts. That is slightly fewer than he had in his one season with Miami as a starter, though it is still 200 more yards with Philadelphia than he had in Miami. <laughs> Uh, however, going back to his past times, 309, that is closer to 420. So sorry, Dante, no point for you there. Let's see if Brooks can take advantage of that. Wind his lead over Dante a little bit. Lance Mackey, one of the greatest dog mushers of all time. Spent many, many a day on the Iditarod trail. For this one, I need to know how many total days did he spend on the Iditarod trail during his different completions and attempts of it, including both 69 or 420. I'm trying to remember how long the Iditarod is. Shorter than the Yukon Quest. Yeah, I know that's the longer one. I mean, he did it for like 20 years, so I'd say 420. In his 16 total attempts, 13 of which he finished, Lance Mackey was on the Iditarod Trail for a total of 148 days. <sighs> Unfortunately for you, Brooks, that is closer to 69, so no Much points closer. on this one. Mm. We turn back to Kevin. Kevin! It's starting to become a game so you inch ever closer. Let's see if you can get this one. David N. Mullaney set the original price for Wiffle Ball at 49 cents, and the business has stayed in family hands. They've maintained a very trim operation, so they're still able to offer it a pretty good price. I want to know in cents, what is the current MSRP, Manufacturer Suggestor Retail Price, of a Wiffle Ball? Um, it, it can't be that high. I'll say 69. The Wiffle Ball MSRP is currently $2.49, 249 cents. That is, unfortunately, it's close, but it is ever closer to 420. So I can't give you a point on that one, Kevin, but that's okay. There'll be one more chance. First, though, let's turn to you, Dante. Dante, John Urschel, Ravens legend, has had a very fruitful career in the academic mathematics sector. I want to know, according to Google Scholar, how many different times have mathematics papers written by, again, former NFL lineman John Urschel been cited in other academic studies? Closer to 420. John Urschel's 29 published academic papers listed on Google Scholar have been cited a total of 174 times. Mm. That is a 69, That's though. That's a lot. That's a it's lot. still quite a bit. Mm. It's still quite a bit for someone who was a professional football player. Uh, but we don't want to know about a professional football player for yours, Brooks. We want to know about a professional fighter. Now, he wasn't always a professional fighter, Kimbo Slice, but he was for a little bit. So I want to know, what is the official listed weight in pounds for Kimbo Slice? I'm doing, I'm doing some math. <laughs> 420. Kimbo Slice's official listed weight as a fighter 225 pounds for those of you that may not know at home Ooh. that is 
eight pounds closer to 69 than 420. I am mm. sorry. Damn it. it is a 69 for Kimbo Slice. I knew it would be really close. That's why I was doing math. <laughs> well, let's see if Dante can get one that I'll admit is also pretty close. We're going to turn to Peter Buckley, who we know had the record for most consecutive losses ever with 80, as has been mentioned in this episode as well. However, I want to know how many of his total matches did he lose? 69 or 420. Oh, I might have actually done research on this guy, and it's like it's also I do realize I've done this out of order, so don't worry, Kev. You're gonna get Dante's this time. 420. Yeah. Peter Buckley participated in 300 total bouts, and of those, he lost 256. That is 420 for you, Dante. You do get one. I, I do apologize for the oversight, Kev, but I think you got a good shot at this next one. Kev, we're going to baseball for a moment, so Dante won't get the baseball question. You will get the question instead about Joel Zumaya, who, when he threw a fastball in 2006, was throwing the fastest fastball in the majors. I want to know, in kilometers per hour, how fast was his recorded fastball in 2006? His max speed, 69 or 420? So I'm going to say he probably threw around 100. And stick with my math here. I remember there being an episode of How I Met Your Mother where she said a marathon is 42 kilometers. So I'm going to say that it's about like one and a half times. Put them at around 150. So I'm going to say 69. It is correct. It was 69. In fact, in kilometers per hour, it was 169. Very nice, Joel Zumaya. Nice. Brooks, final question of... 69-420. We turn to you. I need to know. There's this veteran. He's played many games. He's played in the G League. He's played in a number of international leagues. He has played in the NBA for a little bit. This veteran has a name, but he's more well-known by a nickname, and that nickname is Lickface. How many games did Henry Lickface Sims participate in in the NBA altogether? This is not any one team. His total NBA career, Henry Lickface Sims, how many games? 69-420. And that doesn't count G League. It just counts NBA proper. NBA proper. I mean, you'd need to play in like five or six full seasons to be around 420. But remember, you don't need to be around 420. You just need to be closer to 420. 420. So we played 109 G League games. Played innumerable international games. I could not get a full tally for international games, but a couple hundred. Okay. In the NBA, Henry Lick faced Sims, 99 with the Sixers and altogether 135. That is 69 total. And so, Brooks, I'm sorry, you will come away for the first time tonight in a category with no points, meaning we do have a bit of a game here now. It is still Dante and last with five. Kevin has gotten all the way up to seven. And Brooks, you still have 11 points there in the lead. And what I'm going to need from you, gentlemen, if you don't send me the wager for your final non-copyright infringing Jeopardy, the category for it is Philadelphia Stars. Hmm. Maybe it's about the USFL team. Maybe it's not. Who knows? <laughs> the category is Philadelphia Stars. Folks, I have received the wagers. But first, the question. Dick Allen played for the Phillies for seven years before there was an attempted trade to the St. Louis Cardinals for Kurt Flood in 1969. Nice. He eventually lands on the White Sox where in 1972, he won MVP for 
among other things. An OBP of 420. Also very nice. That year, Nancy Faust began to play walk-up music for Dick Allen. What 1971 Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice musical did she take the title track from as Dick Allen's walk-up for his 1972 MVP season? That's the most James question I've ever seen, and I'm not surprised. I will give a hint. The category is a hint in multiple ways. I'd be pissed if Dante doesn't get this, and maybe Brooks. But I have to say, I I, I fear for Kevin. Dante, if you get it wrong, I'm going to show up at your next softball game just to heckle you because it's five minutes from my apartment. The answers are in. Let's start with you, Dante. Dante, Mm -hmm. your response was cats. That is incorrect. Your wager was three, and that leaves you with the final score of two. We turn next to you, Kevin. You had seven points coming into this. Your answer was Philadelphia Freedom. That was unfortunately also correct. I, I'm not familiar with that work by Andrew Lloyd Webber. I do apologize. Uh, I do also apologize with your wager of seven. <laughs> that does leave you with the final score of zero. We hey, turn you, to you. You did what James did on Jeopardy. You went for it all. Yeah, exactly. I'm in no place to criticize. Nor am I in any place to criticize Brooks, who came in with 11 points. Answered Jesus Christ Superstar. With a question mark, because I was not sure. With a question mark, but it was the correct response. You can be a little bit sure that was indeed what Nancy Faust played for the former Philadelphia star, Dick Allen. Jesus Christ Superstar, as he came there in his 1972 MVP season with a wager of four. That brings Brooks to a final score of 15. And that does mean that Brooks, Rudy, is our Guylianaire. And he is the Richard Francis Burton of Guylianaire. Whoa, take that, Dante, speak. (laughs) I've learned a lot, Uh, and I have a list of about 70 people I looked up today (laughs) in preparation for this. This has been a lot of fun and encourages me to continue to listen to the podcast, hopefully a little more routinely, so that I'm not scrambling the next time I am invited on here. And now I know I need to do more research on sports that aren't baseball. (laughs) Although I did get I did get one or two boxing questions correct. I'm proud of myself on that. We are proud of you. We're proud of all the contestants for joining us, though, of course, congrats are in order to you, Brooks. Uh, but thanks again to all of you. We hope that you guys had fun. We hope that you, listener, also had some fun listening to this. If you did, hey, just like Brooks is saying, be sure to listen and share with other people. You know, someone else. If you might think it's that they'd enjoy this, you can send them the bit.ly slash remember that guy. It's all one word. It's all lowercase. But thank you to our guests and to my co-hosts and to Craig, the whole team behind producer Craig, our musical director, Don Ham, and to you, dear listener, most of all, for joining us. We do hope that you'll join us again next week for uh, the last guest of our very star-studded season. But until then, I have been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. Special guest for Trivia Brooks, uh, temporary Richard Francis Burton for the evening. Super mega guest and somehow second place finisher today, Dante. I'm longtime listener, third time caller, third place champ, hang a banner, Nolan. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> thank you for having me on. Thank you for claiming the true championship of this podcast, the third place championship. I've been Diaz, and as Alex Trebek once said, don't minimize the importance of guys in determining life's course.
So this is off topic, but have you seen those like Allen Iverson, Stephen Curry, Kevin Hart commercials? I didn't realize these existed. I need to see them now. I was watching with my girlfriend and I go, who is that? And I pointed at the screen when Allen Iverson was on it. And she goes, I don't know. I go, okay, who's that? She goes, that's Kevin Hart. And then I go, you sure you don't know who the first guy was? She was like, no. I was like, you can see yourself out because that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, so how's that bachelor life going? <laughs> God. Well, always, I mean, in her defense, he hasn't aged gracefully. Doesn't look like he did when he was on the court. If you go to Dave and Buster's on a random Friday night, you might find him. That sounds like the end of an urban legend. If you go to a Dave and Buster's on a Friday night. And you whisper Bubba Chuck into the mirror three times. 